Most people have a hero story, but most of those stories are never told. We live everyday lives doing everyday things, often failing to recognize the heroism required just to do what it takes to be human. It's different for everyone. No two stories are the same. This is the Everyday Phoenix Project, a podcast dedicated to and about survivors, warriors, and inspirational people with a story to tell, just like you. I'm your host, Jennifer DeLucy, Simon & Schuster author of The Light Series, blogger, and lifelong musician. I created this podcast because, for me, the most moving stories often go untold. Our inaugural podcast features Belinda Franson, who is the dedicated mom to an adorable 23-year-old man named Josh, who just happens to be autistic. Belinda helped to raise her siblings from a very young age, so she always had the maternal instinct. I I started caring for them between the age of 10 and 12, and by the time I was 14, I was sure I wanted to be a young mom. That was my main goal. I mean, I had other goals, but that was my number one goal in life was, was to become a mother. So Belinda was born with strong maternal instincts, but that did not mean that she didn't have other goals and aspirations. I wanted to get into um, graphic arts before it was a thing. (laughs) I was really good at graphic arts, and um, my mom had pulled me from that because I had this really not uh, good counselor who said that she should pull me out of the class because my other grades were hurting. Apparently, her graphic arts teacher argued for Belinda to stay in class because she saw talent. But it seems that they were thwarted by a misguided guidance counselor. My mom still regrets that to this day, that that she went ahead and took that counselor's advice. This is the same counselor that told me, Belinda, college is not for everyone. (laughs) I asked this sweet lady if graphic arts was something she'd ever consider pursuing again since it seemed to be a passion of hers. I've I've played around with photo editing and I'm pretty darn good at it. I've scared some people (laughs) because I can, at least with the right program, I can can make a photo, like I can take a person out of it, put a person into it, (laughs) you know? Something told me I should tuck that tidbit away just in case I ever needed to change my identity or join the witness protection program or something. It was a lot of fun and I spent a lot of hours at it. It wouldn't be, I wouldn't mind dabbling in something like that again, but of course Josh is my first first priority. I asked Belinda how old she was when she had Josh. I was 25, but I wanted to have him sooner. (laughs) To me, 25 seemed pretty young to be a mom, but I realized She and I shared a slightly different generation, and that seemed about on par, if not even a little bit older, to be a mom when she was younger. Then the heavier thoughts kicked in. I thought about myself at 25, and though I shared Belinda's maternal instincts, I couldn't help but wonder if I would have had what it takes to raise an autistic child. But Belinda, she was ready. She was more than ready. I got married a little after... Oh, I was about 19 or 20. I think I was more like 20. And I was just bugging my husband to have a baby. Let's have a baby. Let's have a baby. Um, And luckily, he had common sense. 
Her husband suggested maybe they take some time for his career to grow a little bit before they considered having a child. <laughs> and as soon as he got his promotion, we got pregnant. <laughs> a well-timed event that Belinda could not have been happier about. I was so excited. I remember the phone call. Well, I remember the day we tested. Belinda's menstrual cycle was only one day late, but she was absolutely certain that she was pregnant. She said she could feel it. I said, just, just, would you just please humor me and give me the pregnancy test? And so they did. She can still remember when the doctor's office called the house to give her the news. And all I was saying was, really? Really? And because I was so young, they were like, is this a good thing? And I was, I was, I was just so excited. Belinda said they tried to find out the gender of their child, but... When she was younger, the science behind that wasn't so exacting. And we thought we were having a girl. (laughs) So everything was Jasmine Page. Jasmine Page. Oddly, though, Belinda's sister had some serious doubts about the gender of the baby. I, luckily enough, my sister was doubtful. She said she was determined, nope, you're having a boy. No, you're having a boy. So she left that doubt in my mind. Even though I had had the sonogram, you know, I bought everything unisex. (laughs) I think I might have bought one little dress. Belinda must have really trusted her sister's advice because they went ahead and plotted out boy names just in case. And while Belinda thought it might be nice to name him after his father, Josh's dad said no, he should probably have his own name, be his own person. And so when he was born, I yelled out, it's a boy. It's Joshua Paul. (laughs) I was so shocked. (laughs) I wanted to know how long after Josh was born, they'd received the diagnosis of autism. What kinds of things did they notice? Was it overnight? Was it a gradual change? What happened? Well, I had an inkling before the diagnosis came in. And it actually, his first diagnosis wasn't autism because at least at that time, they couldn't diagnose Um, autism in children that young. So it was called PDD or pervasive development disorder. And he was about, he was between three and three and a half. Then she thinks better of it, reconsiders the timeline and says, it was almost exactly 18 months when I started noticing because he stopped talking. Okay. So that was the first thing you noticed was that he, he stopped talking. He stopped talking. He had a 50-word vocabulary, and it stopped. She said suddenly he could only laugh or cry. And that's the stunning thing about autism. These children, they're proceeding normally developmentally. Language skills on cue, motor function fine, cognitively everything is normal. And then suddenly, almost overnight, it goes away. It just disappears. Oh, I, I, I hate to even say it because this raises a whole can of worms that people get up in arms about. And then she told me something that could potentially be seen as controversial. She talks about him receiving vaccinations and the immediate reaction that Josh had. It didn't seem to be a matter of vaccines are bad. From what she was telling me, it seemed that Josh was having an allergic reaction. Josh's food allergies were EpiPen levels of severe, but it appears that the doctors didn't take it seriously. And when he had those, he just, he 
light pink in the bed. He was he was almost red, and he wouldn't move. And uh, and I called them in a panic, and I said, he's not moving, he's all pink. And I said, that's normal, give him Tylenol. And uh, so I did what they said, but unfortunately, almost directly after that, he stopped speaking. I think he was already destined to be either Asperger's or autism of some sort. There was a warning on the vaccination about about allergies, food allergies. In fact, there was a lawyer, and had I not been dealing with depression so bad by the time the lawyer had contacted me, I would have taken the case because this lawyer very badly wanted to make the case against the doctor who gave him the EpiPen in the first place and did not read the warning label on the vaccination. And what was a mom to do? Should she take her child back to the same physician who might have somehow been negligent in his treatment of Josh and triggered autism? We know so little about autism now, let alone when Josh was a baby. It's not like there were specialists readily available. Seeing his rapid decline, she took him back to the family doctor, putting the pieces together in her mind, and asked him, could this be autism? doctor said, oh no, you know, it's not autism. He was very condescending and very pushy. And he did not have a good childhood pediatrician, unfortunately. Belinda knew something had gone wrong, and she suspected autism, but it seemed that nobody wanted to take her seriously at first. So I, I did try to seek out some help, but I was basically this little person who was being told I'd I didn't know anything. So I asked her when the tides changed. Who did she come into contact with? What resource finally was able to help her determine exactly what was going on with Josh and confirm what she seemed to instinctively already know? That's when Belinda mentions Terry, or Mom Too, as they call her. A close, close family friend who's been helping to caretake Josh since the beginning. Terry is a registered nurse. And she started doing tons of research on it. And the other thing is we found this doctor named Dr. Karnick. Belinda says that Dr. Karnick was a pediatric neurologist who happened to know a thing or two about autism, or at least as much as you could know when Josh was little. But I remember we just lucked into him because he was the best. People would come from all over the state to see him, and we just got assigned him. So now that she had a physician who could properly diagnose autism in Josh, how did this change her daily life as a mother? Well, nothing changed right away because um, I was very mistrustful of the medical institution at that point, and I wouldn't let them give him any kind of medication or anything. So I would just deal with his behaviors, how a mother does, you know. I asked her what the biggest challenges were for a new mom with a newly diagnosed autistic child in the beginning of everything. How did she cope? Well, I, I think the constant care was very difficult, but I think the tantrums were, were more so. I mean, up until the age of four, he was really like this angel baby just just beautiful baby because we got compliments on his looks all the time it wasn't just mom saying he's beautiful you know but it and he was so good because he was so quiet and he knew how to interact with us and play and we 
would tickle and make him laugh and stuff. But he would also get, it would break my heart because he would get mournfully sad. And he would just cry and I would just cry with him. When they express emotions, autistic kiddos tend to do it in a big way. I asked Belinda if that was the case with Josh. Yes, when he was very young, that that was the case. It was very big. And mm-hmm. um, and there, there wasn't a lot to do. Like with his tantrums, I would just wrap my, when he got older and did start having more severe tantrums, I would just wrap my body around his because I knew about the deep pressure therapy. And I would rock with him and just try to calm him down. Slowly we figured out that he responded better to a high protein diet, that if he had too much sugar in his system, he was bound for a tantrum. And that and that when he had enough protein in his system, it's he settled down quite a bit. So all his life he's been on a fairly high protein diet. So there were struggles to raising an autistic child, no doubt, as with any child who has special needs. But along with that, surely there came special gifts as well. I wanted to know, what was it about raising Josh that was a surprising pleasure? What was the gift? Well, as somebody who wanted to be a mom forever, I got more baby years with Josh than anyone could ever hope for. I mean, you would have to have many children to get as many baby years as I got. And for me, that was a gift to to be able to nurture him and hold him and tickle him and kiss him and hug him, you know, because luckily for us, he wasn't the kind of, he didn't have the kind of autism where he didn't like to be touched. Has he ever shocked you? Well, unfortunately, I do have a story when it comes to that. Um, he shocked me horribly once, um, all of us. Uh, he went through this phase when he started going through puberty because he didn't understand it and it wasn't very by the way i got over my medical thing he does take medication now (laughs) but um he uh he would run up to somebody if they would see bare skin and he would like try to touch them and stuff well you know that was kind of shocking but it was all family and we were like no no don't do that no big deal you know but stop it (laughs) josh was going through the same physical and biological changes any kid would during puberty but Josh was autistic, and they were still trying to work out the boundaries thing. The shocking part was one time we took him to the beach, and he ran up to this little girl that must have been about three or four, and he rubbed his body against hers. And we freaked out. And then his parent and the little girl's parents freaked out, of course, too. She just looked bewildered, poor thing. The rest of us were completely horrified, you know, and we scolded him so severely, you know, verbally, not physically, but verbally. And we took him away from the beach right away, which water was something we loved and made him leave right away. And thank goodness that was the first and the last time that had ever happened. It seemed the instant loss of beach time plus his family's grand mortification taught Josh a thing or two about boundaries. I asked Belinda if he seemed clear on the reasons. Yes, he was. 
there had to be a lot of awkward and unexpected landmark moments for parents of special needs kids, things they never saw coming. But Josh figured it out. Um, he got, he somehow got through to him that you just don't do that. <laughs> so she told me about a moment of unexpected mortification. But what about the opposite? What kinds of ways had Josh pleasantly surprised her over the years? Oh, <laughs> well, one time, I mean, this is little, but it, it's out of character for him. One time, he just, I would always blow tickles on him and stuff. And one time, he decided to turn the tables on me and blow tickles on me and, and just tickle me stuff. And he really got me. And he made me crack up. And his reaction to me cracking up was priceless. Um, it was the only time he ever did that. But he turned the tables on me. And, and uh, he was like, okay, now you're going to get it. Autistic kids often spend a lot of time in their heads. So moments of pure interaction and connection have got to feel like bliss for their parents. I mentioned to Belinda my experience with special needs kids, both professionally and with my own little brother. So I've spent a lot of time with special needs kids myself. I've noticed that there's a lot of fixation, right? There's a lot mm -hmm. of fixation. There's a lot of repetition. Um, there's a comfort in, in, and a lot of autistic kiddo, kiddos are diagnosed with um, OCD. And Yeah, he has that. And what are some of the things that bring Josh comfort as far as repetitious behavior or repetitious patterns in he his life? He loves music. He loves music. He riffs on his piano all the time. He can spend hours riffing on his piano. We thought he was playing pre-recorded songs at first, but it turns out he takes these pre-recorded songs and then he riffs off of them and he changes them. He only plays for himself, but he's really talented. I wish he could show it to the world. This wasn't hard for me to imagine. When I thought back to my own little brother, he had this uncanny ability to memorize almost instantly any tidbit or fact he would learn about animals and insects and nature. He would rattle them off like a science lesson. I was always impressed. Now, Belinda seemed to have this special needs mom thing down pat, but that doesn't mean she didn't have her own personal struggles to deal with. In fact, she had quite a lot on her plate. It came as a shock because I was diagnosed originally with uh, chronic depression. And they said I would have to be on antidepressants the rest of my life. I pretty much wouldn't listen to the doctors because every antidepressant they'd given me only gave me bad side effects. Well, the doctor finally found one that worked. And it turned out I wasn't chronic depressive. I was bipolar, and but without any medication to control the antidepressant, I had a manic episode. And nobody knew what was going on, just that I had lost my mind. So there she was, early 30s, mom of a child with profound autism. And she found herself in the middle of a psychotic break. With the medications they put me on to tamp it down, there was a fear that I would never come back, that I was gone. She said she was doing the Thorazine shuffle and having a difficult time adjusting and trusting doctors at that point. Until it seems she lucked out once again. Luckily, I got one good one who got me to an okay state where I was able to care for my son again because there was about a period 
of I'm not sure how long, but it was at least six months where I could care for his basic needs, but I really wasn't mentally present. You had to wonder how much of Josh's influence there was in getting Belinda through this period. If it hadn't been for Josh in her life and the purpose of that, would she have pulled through the same way? What did she think about his influence on her recovery? Oh, he's been he's he's a major motivator because because uh, I went through um, a lot of periods of suicidal ideation as well and um, and I'm ashamed to say there were times when I had tried to take my life because I thought he was better off without me of all things. Oh no, I'm getting cheery. <laughs> Luckily, that phase has passed because, for one thing, I've got a really great doctor now, and for another thing, it almost worked. I almost managed it one time, and I came so close that I realized I was about to lose him forever and and never see him grow up. At this point, it's becoming apparent to me that Josh had played a role in her life she didn't expect kind of a savior, that if it wasn't for the purpose and love of raising him, maybe she wouldn't have been here today. I asked her if she thought that was the case. Oh yeah, once I got that down, I was like, no, never, never, never again. I'm never leaving him. We often hear moms talk about how parenting is a 24-7 job, but that's especially true if you're the parent of a child with special needs. I asked Belinda about adult relationships, friendships, time for herself. I asked her how patient people were and if they were good and understanding about her time and her circumstances. Some people, some people aren't, but they usually don't last long. I I have a couple of really best friends now that are, are very understanding about it. When I have Josh times, and I'm luckier than most, he has... He has three parents instead of two, you know? So that's an unusual situation that most people don't have. So there's three of us to share the workload. And I'm the the only one who doesn't work outside the home. So I'll I'll fill in the gaps, you know, where the gaps need filling. But, But the three of us will work together on taking care of him. Like tonight's not my night, so I can do this interview. I get to go out and have girls' night every once in a while. (laughs) Surely being the parent of an autistic kid changes you. I really wondered how. In what ways was her life different than she imagined it would be? God, I, I don't even know who I would have been without Josh. She couldn't possibly fathom a life without her son in it. And she didn't want to. What scares me is when I'm too old to take care of him, is that I'm going to have to trust other people to care for him. And I don't want that. I want to take care of him myself until I can't stand up anymore. (laughs) That's often a looming concern in the minds of parents with profoundly disabled children. What's going to happen to my child when I'm too old to take care of them anymore? I mentioned the possibility of science coming up with a cure for autism, but Belinda seemed dubious of that solution in Josh's lifetime. We have... A couple of roads that we know we can go down, um, but I just, I, I've never trusted anybody else but his parents to, to care for him and, and his and his fam, close family that knows him, you know, like his grandparents and whatnot. Um, those are the only people I've ever trusted with his care, I mean, except for short periods. 
it begged the question of what kind of interactions people in the community had had with her son. How did people react in public, and how did Belinda deal with it? Well, I think it's in general, you know, that people are, are frightened, or they have a look of disdain, you know, like they don't want to get near him like he's contagious or something, you know. I've seen people change aisles in the grocery store so they, they, they don't have to go near him and stuff. And to me, that's sad. And, and I remember being afraid of special needs uh, people when I was younger, you know. Um, but I went to help out at the school next door, which was a school for special needs people. And so that kind of helped get me over my fear. She really hoped that people would put a little more effort into understanding and getting to know folks with disabilities a little bit better. There was a look, she said, a look they always give, and it drove her crazy. I don't, I don't know what that, that look is, you know, it's like they, they want to avoid at all costs. That look, I could only guess, was probably a combination of curiosity and fear. More fear of what people don't understand, or fear of what it would be like if that was them. I think as humans, we're inherently scared of weakness, or what we perceive as such. And we're especially scared when we imagine ourselves in the same situation. We like to pretend that it can't be us, or that it wouldn't be anyone we know or love. But the fact is, it could. It probably will be. That's what I imagine. And not everybody's like that, you know. Some people are really cool about it. It's just you find a lot more people who are afraid for some reason. So there were struggles. But surely there were also positive experiences in the community as well. She said there was. There was a camp Josh loved to go to called Bridge of Promise. And he also has a job. He works two days a week, but only for two hours a day. He mostly, he works at the warehouse. He unpackages things and and places them where they need to go. He has an assistant who helps him do that. So he does a, a lot of unpackaging of shipments and, and locating, placing them, you know. I wondered if the repetitive and ordered nature of the job meant that it was something Josh flourished in doing. Well, he's gotten good at it. I'm not sure that he exactly enjoys it all the time. <laughs> but that's work, right? Like anybody else, Josh has his own distinct personality. Mom says that he likes to mess with her a little for fun. He likes to play these games where... He does something wrong, I tell him it's wrong, then he does it right, and I tell him that's, well, okay, it goes like this, no banging, and and, and then he starts flapping his hands in a way that doesn't hurt himself, and then I go, there you go, and it's, he wants to hear the there you go over and over again, but he wants to earn it, and he wants me sometimes to do it in different voices. <laughs> Like, he wants me to pretend I'm really angry with him. He's, he's no banging, you know, because he's not really hurting himself. He's only pretending to. And so I'll do it. I'll, I'll go, no banging. And, and then he goes, there you go, real sweet. Like, he has his own things with each people. And I, I can't really speak to, like, I know, I know at least for him and his dad, outings are definitely a big thing. He likes to hike. As any true Pacific Northwesterner would. He's a hiker. He goes to the zoo a lot because it's a safe place for him to hike around. He, he could care less about the animals, <laughs> those, 
those animals, they wouldn't even need to be there because he's not, he's one of those unusual autistic people who just is not into animals at all. But he loves to hike the train and it's, it's pretty well enclosed, so it's hard to lose him. He recently went to a baseball game and he got to sit in box seats and he really enjoyed that. He doesn't have the tantrums anymore because he's on a mood stabilizer and um, he's got OCDs and we suspect depression because since he's gone on to his antidepressant, he's not so terrified to go places and he's just happier. He doesn't have those mournful crying periods anymore. It's very rare. It's taking some mood stabilization, you know, through medication to, to help him. But he's also matured a lot. He's kind of typical autistic when he's, he's just in his own head a lot. This is an aspect with profoundly autistic children that has always dumbfounded me. It's almost heartbreaking the way they go into their own heads. You can be left sitting there watching them clearly living and interacting in a world that only they can see. And you can't help but wonder, where did they go? I asked Belinda if this was something that bothered her or if she was used to it by now. You know, it doesn't really bother me anymore because he comes back out and he he engages with me when he wants to engage and he does it frequently enough that I don't feel like I'm not in his life at all. I just know that he wants his private time in his own head. And so, to be honest, it gives me downtime, <laughs> you know, because he, be, he can be pretty high maintenance. <laughs> This had me wondering if she ever envied his ability to go into his own head when he didn't feel like dealing with the outside world. Gosh, I never thought of that. That would be a nice little trick, wouldn't it? I think we all would like that. <laughs> so I had to ask her. He was a 23-year-old boy. Did he ever get crushes on a girl? Oh, yes. In high school, it was the cutest thing. There was this little love triangle going on, like any other high school group. He liked this girl. Remember her name, this cute little girl he liked so much, he would just follow her around. And she liked him too, but not like that. So she was just kind of friendly with him and would just kind of tolerate him following her around and then the girl who liked him i do remember her name abby she was cute too would follow him around and he tolerated it a, a little less gracefully <laughs> it seemed like josh was just as susceptible to the dramatic rigors of high school as anybody else in fact it sounds like he had a more exciting time than i did i watch a video belinda has posted on youtube it's josh's birthday He's sitting at the table, being sung to and blowing out candles, pretty unsuccessfully. He seems far more mesmerized by the effect his gentle breaths have on the flames than actually snuffing them out. And what I notice most of all is how happy they all seem. There is a distinct and unmistakable presence of joy in the room. He's, he's such a sweetheart. His personality is, he's very sweet nature he wouldn't hurt somebody on purpose like the only time i could imagine him hurting somebody would be a, an accident when somebody got between him and something he was really desperate to get to or really desperate to get out of and and they were trying to hold him back you know and restrain him that's the only way i could see him ever hurting somebody and it would be a complete accident because he has no he just doesn't have a mean bone in his body. He's not aggressive. He doesn't bite. He doesn't, 
kit. He he's just very sweet. He'll just come up and he smiles and that smile just melts my heart. I asked Belinda if there was something she wished she could get across to people about autistic children, something she wished they'd understand better or she wished she could get through their heads. Just that they're they're people too. And if you take the time to get to know them, they're worth getting to know. And the people in Josh's life who have gotten to know him have grown very fond of him, you know? So, and I think that's the case with many, many of these children and, and adults because he's an adult now. (laughs) In spite of her happiness and successes as a mom, Belinda still thinks there's a part of herself that's failed her son because of her struggles with bipolar disorder and depression. I ask her if perhaps she might be a little hard on herself considering that raising a profoundly autistic child would be a hard job for anyone, even those who aren't struggling with a mental health issue and she seemed to have done a fine, fine job. Yeah, actually, I think I can give myself that. <laughs> because my uptimes are just like so much fun for him because I'm just like joyous and playful and we have so much fun. <laughs> There's no question in my mind she'd make a good mom to anyone. I can hear the joy in her voice and Josh is clearly the center of her universe. I want to thank Belinda Franson again for being on the Everyday Phoenix Project podcast. It has been an honor and a privilege to talk to her. Signing off to everybody who tuned in, and we'll speak again in a future podcast.